scripture today is James chapter 4. Those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and do not have it, so you commit murder. And you covet something and cannot obtain it, so you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says, God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives all the more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such town and spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My brothers and sisters, what if I told you that there was one key, one practice that could heal our relationships, prevent future damage to those relationships, and even help diminish that ever-present anxiety-inducing need we so often wrestle with, that need for control. In our scripture passage today, James highlights three problems. All of them have the same solution. Problems with our current relationships. There are pitfalls for future relationships. And there's an anxiety-ridden need for control. And James says we address all three of these issues with the same solution Humility. The practice of humility. James begins in verse 1 by saying, We have conflicts among us and between us. Now, he wrote this passage 2,000 years ago, but brothers and sisters, if we look around, James could have written these words this morning. Amen? 
James says we have problems between us because we have problems within us, inside of us. Our relationships with God and with one another are in peril (laughs) because there's sin in us. And so James calls us to acts of contrition. If we want to find healing for the sin that dwells in us, healing for our relationships with God and one another, we need to submit to God, cleanse our hands, purify our hearts. But ultimately, he says, if we truly want to heal our relationship with God and one another, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. The first problem, James says, is our relationships are in trouble. How do we address that? James says we humble ourselves before the Lord. Then, then he tells us that we have another problem. A tendency to sit in judgment of one another judgmental attitude, when it is inside of us, a judgmental attitude is just waiting to break open a relationship, to do damage to a relationship in the future. So how do we fix the judgmentalism that lives inside of us? What kind of perspective might we need? Once more, humility. The humility which says, I have no moral high ground from which to judge you. That like you, I'm merely a supplicant before the throne of grace, possessing no foundation from which to pass judgment. Humility keeps us from judging. And finally, as we conclude our exegesis of the text, finally James says there's a third problem. A problem that emerges from our struggle to be in control. He says we need to be careful about the ways we articulate the prospect of the future, our plans. We so often act as if we are in control of the future, but we are not. And James goes so far as to say, we need to understand what we are missed here for the moment and gone tomorrow. This is a perspective grounded and bathed in humility. In James chapter 4, he tells us we have three problems. Problems in our relationship with God and one another. Problems judging the people around us. And problems trying to stay in control of every little thing. And all three of those problems, one solution. Humility. And he concludes this chapter... A powerful statement when he says, anyone who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it commits sin. James tells us we need humility in our lives. And if we know that, and we choose not to seek it out, he says we're sinning. And therefore, in reflection on James chapter 4, the big question for us today is simply, how do we find humility in our lives? 
How do we become people who are humble? I want to spend the next few moments sharing three keys to humility that come both from Scripture and from our Christian tradition. And I want to encourage you to grab something, a pen and piece of paper or a phone that you can take messages on or even your laptop if you're watching your laptop. I want to invite you to take a few notes today in the hopes that we can not only hear this wisdom, but that we can put it into practice in our lives and find the humility that James calls us to. So how do we find humility? The first thing I want to suggest that we need to do if we are in search of humility is we need to highlight our own faults and others' strengths. We need to highlight our own faults and others' strengths, others' gifts. There's this great, great story about uh, the founder of, of Methodism, John Wesley, and uh, a man who was a contemporary of his named George Whitfield. Now, Whitfield was Presbyterian, and many people have said that Whitfield was among the greatest preachers in history. There are so many stories about what a gifted preacher George Whitfield was. John Wesley came out of a different tradition, out of the Anglican tradition, not the Calvinist, but the Armenian tradition. And they, uh, they didn't always see eye to eye, and sometimes the arguments between John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, and George Whitfield, the Presbyterian, sometimes those arguments were played out in the press. And sometimes these two pastors were not kind to one another at all. Well, one day, George Whitfield was being interviewed, and uh, the interviewer asked, they said, uh, Mr. Whitfield, do you believe that you shall see Mr. Wesley in heaven? And George Whitfield paused for a moment, and then he said, I do not, for I believe Mr. Wesley will be so close to the throne, and I will be so, so far away that I shall never lay eyes upon him. What a humble statement. Whitfield was highlighting his own saying he had not been as faithful as John Wesley, and, and celebrating the giftedness in John Wesley. But the thing about having my own faults is that I first, well, I need to be aware of those faults. There's a self-awareness piece, because we, we all have areas where we aren't great. And it's not just okay to admit that. It's imperative to our human growth that we know that we know what our growing edges are. One of mine, one of my faults, is that I like to be liked. Um, and and I, I, sin, I sit often in awe of people who are able to walk through their life seemingly impervious to the opinions of other people. Now, Enjoying being in the good graces of other folks in and of itself is not a fault. But the, the fault in me is that I can, I can dwell in an unhealthy way on it. It was a lot worse when I was younger, and maturity, like with many things, has helped. But it's still there. I can still, far too easily at times, 
place my worth in the hands of another. This is a fairly common things that, thing that we humans do. But you know, one of my best friends in the world has this capacity just to let things roll off of her back. And I, I told her earlier this week, I said, I, I really admire this in you. And then I asked, can you, can you tell me how you do this? <laughs> you see, when we have the humility to acknowledge a fault in ourselves and a strength or a gift in another, three things happen. First, keeps my ego in check. Second, second, in, in recognizing the giftedness of another, I am affirming God's presence and blessing in their lives. I'm building up somebody else. And third, when I'm able to highlight my own faults and the, the strengths of another, the gifts of another, it gives me a chance to learn and grow. If we want to practice humility with all of the blessings James says comes along with humility, if we want to practice humility, one thing we've got to learn how to do is be willing to highlight our own faults and celebrate others' gifts. But there's a second thing, too. The second thing we want to do if we want to cultivate humility is we want to go from prideful to grateful. We all make mistakes. We just talked about uh, the fact that we all have faults in our, our lives. But praise God, there's also some moments in our lives we're going to encounter successes, church, how do we deal humbly with those successes? Key, I would say, is to go from pridefulness to thankfulness. From boasting to gratitude. Over and over again, the scripture counsels us in favor of humility and against pride. It's interesting to me how closely, however, these two practices of pride and gratitude are related. Pride and gratitude, pride and thanksgiving are similar in so much as with both of them there is an acknowledgement that something good has happened. The difference is who gets the glory for the accomplishment. One area where perhaps we struggle with humility is giving ourselves over to pride around our own work ethic. I went to college, or I worked hard all of these years. I've earned what I have, and those who haven't earned what I have earned, well, they just didn't work as hard as me. I, I understand that sentiment because sometimes those words walk through my mind and heart as well. But I'm reminded of an interview that once took place with Alex Haley, the author of Roots. The interviewer was in Mr. Haley's office and saw the most curious picture on the wall. It was a picture of a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. 
And the interviewer stopped the interview with Alex Haley and said, I I'm so sorry, but can you explain to me the significance of the, the photo with the turtle sitting on top of a fence post? Mr. Haley looked at it and he said, oh, it's, it's a reminder of me to stay humble and to be grateful for the things that I have. And the, the reporter sat there for a moment and said, Mr. Haley, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm not following. Haley said, well, if you're driving down the road and you see a turtle sitting on top of a fence post, you know at least one thing, that turtle had some help. The picture, Mr. Haley said, reminded him that he had had some help along his journey. The notion that we are self-made women and men is a pretty myopic sentiment. It gives me the glory. But what if, if instead of saying to ourselves, I worked hard and I'm entitled to what I have, what if I said instead, I am so grateful for the chance to go to school, so grateful to have had the health to work. I've been grateful for the support of my family and, and my friends and my co-workers along the way. God has blessed me so much and I will pay it forward to the glory of Christ. Both pride and gratitude acknowledge that something beautiful and good has happened, but the difference is in who gets the glory. In one, the glory for the good thing goes to me, and in the other, the glory goes to God. Who deserves the glory in your life? Proverbs 16, Solomon reminds us, pride comes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. But in Thessalonians, Paul tells us that gratitude is God's will for our lives. If we want to be humble and experience all the blessings James says come with humility, one of the things we need to do is ask God to transform our pride into gratitude. James tells us we can overcome our relationship problems. We can heal the relationships of the past. We can prevent future damage. And we can give up our need for control if we practice humility. How do we do it? One, we hide our own faults and other successes, others' gifts. Two, we go from being prideful in our successes to grateful for our successes. And here's the third one in church. I'm telling you right now, it's the hardest one of all. If we want to grow in humility, we must, we must, we must seek out the one we don't understand. I want to just quickly tell you a couple of stories from the Bible. Several you're familiar with. In John chapter 4, Jesus searches out a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman. Jesus went in search of her. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus encounters a tax collector, a small guy named Zacchaeus. And Jesus sought him out, even went to his home. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus encounters a centurion whose servant is sick. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 7 that Jesus goes with the centurion towards his home. Jesus sought out the woman at the well. He sought out Zacchaeus. And he sought out 
the centurion. And every single one of them, every single one of them would have been regarded in first century Israel as those who were worthy of scorn. Society said the woman at the well was an outcast for being a Samaritan. Society said that Zacchaeus was a turncoat for being a tax collector. Society said the centurion was an oppressor for his role in the occupation of Israel by Rome. But what all three of these people share is that Jesus went in search of them. My brothers and sisters, the easiest thing in this world is to sit in judgment of someone that we don't understand. We know our side of the story. And our logic is irrefutable. Pick a topic. Pick a topic where you have a strong opinion and go find a friend or a loved one who holds a different opinion. Listen to them. Actually, hear what they have to say, the rationale behind their distinction that they hold. Have an honest conversation. And here's the thing, I, I know, I know, I know roughly 99% folks are not going not gonna to do that, but we should. A number of years ago, we had a, a series here at Ebenezer Church called Be the Change. And as part of the Be the Change series, we invited a number of people to come and sit around tables People who had differing opinions on various issues. I mean, really hot-button issues in our society. And we put these people in the same room around the same table and nothing burned down. We walked through a process together. And I still remember vividly my friend Chad, after that process was concluded, he walked up to me in the hallway and he said this. He said, you know, what was so interesting, when we turned down all the noise, what we found was we weren't that far apart. We weren't that far apart. We can sit on our own side of things and assume we're right all day long, but until we are willing to hear our friend's side of the story, willing to understand where someone else is coming from, our deeply held opinions and convictions are situated not in knowledge, but in fear. Not in righteousness, but in ignorance. My brothers and sisters, if I think faith in God is about building walls between the righteous and the unrighteous, I have missed the point. If we truly wish to be humble, it involves trying to understand others, trying to understand why they think differently than we do. So if we want humility and all that comes with it, seek out the one I don't understand. Seek out the other. Strive to understand why they believe what they believe. My brothers and sisters, that is the price we have to pay in order to go from judgment to humility. James says, humility is the key to healing our relationship problems. He says that humility is the key to foregoing judgment and doing future damage to those relationships. 
And James says that there is a degree of humility that allows us to give up our need for control and the anxiety that comes with it. But how, how, how do we birth humility? We've talked three ways today. We highlight our own faults and the strengths, the gifts of others. I can go from pride in what I've accomplished to gratitude for what I've been given. Thirdly, I can seek out the one I don't understand. And instead of judging them, strive to know them. I want to close with this. In the year 59 AD, the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the church at Corinth. And in that letter, he said, I am the least of the apostles. Four years later, in the year 63 AD, Paul wrote a letter to the Ephesians in which he said, I am the least of all the Christians or the saints, as he called them. The following year, in 64 AD, Paul this time wrote a letter to his young friend Timothy. And this time Paul said, I am the chief of all sinners. I think it's so fascinating to see the progression in Paul. 59 AD, he says, I'm least of the apostles. That's still pretty rarefied air, church. Four years later, he says, I'm the least of all the Christians. The next year, he finally gets to the point, he says, I'm the biggest sinner there's ever been. Each statement indicates humility, but there's a progression that's happening. Paul becomes increasingly humble. Starts out as the least of the apostles and ends up the, the chief of all the sinners. As the years pass, he becomes increasingly aware of his own need for grace. You see, that's what happens as we grow in faith. We think that growing in faith means we're going to necessarily become holier people. And I, I'd love it if that were true. But my experience and what I'm seeing in the Apostles Paul experience is truly growing in our faith. One part of it is simply continuing to recognize the tremendous need in our lives for grace. Paul found himself getting lower and lower, humbler and humbler, until the point, until the point he came, became exactly what God created him to be. James tells us our lives can be truly transformed, our relationships changed, 
if we are willing to practice humility. That's my prayer for us today. We'll engage in these practices. In prayer before our God. That we'll be reminded over and over again of our need for grace and of God's tremendous love for us and for those around us. Would you pray with me? Living in holy God, we give you thanks for James, for his no-nonsense way of communicating truth. And for the simple wonder of what he shared with us today. That our relationships can be healed, protected in the future. That our anxiety around control can be lifted if we will give ourselves over to the pursuit of humility. God, help us to find humility. Help us to grow closer and closer to you, and as we do, to be refined by your fire, ever aware of our desperate need for you. And, oh God, as those who have been saved only by grace, let us give up our judgmentalism, give up our moral superiority, and simply love the world as you do. In Jesus' name.